Well, we're memorizing verses uh, this year, last year, spilling over to this year, and uh, 52 of them. If you follow us, you can jump in at any time. Bible memory verses like uh, with congregation our size, I know there's people dropping like flies or you meant well. It's kind of like, I remember the first time I ran a long race. Uh, it's like 50 of us showed up to a big house in the reservoir and uh, 30 of us ended up going to San Diego and like 22 of us actually crossed the finish line. But uh, if you've missed verses, you could jump in at any time. Turn to Romans 15. This was a good one to memorize at some point. It's not our memory verse this week, but we'll put it up in just a second. Romans 15, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment and then kick it back old school. But uh, memory verses are uh, on our website, and we, we post them each week. And it's really cool. A few weeks ago, I was out in public, and somebody bumped into me, and she was telling me, because it's like once a week I'll hear from one of you about the verse, and you're, some of you are tracking with us and memorizing it and finding blessing in it. And I was in public, bumped into someone, and she talked about the memory verse. She said, Pastor, I'm doing the memory verse. And she goes, let's, it's like Wednesday, she goes, let's say it together. And uh, that was like the one week I wasn't on top of my game. And uh, I don't know if this is a little trick that could help some of you, but there's memorization, there's familiarization, which is kind of close. So I, I was familiar enough with the verse, and I go, yeah, let's, when she said, let's say it out together, out loud together, I kind of followed her real tight. Like she went first, I was right on her heels. And the irony of it, God really works, doesn't he? I mean, I love how he works. It was a verse that had to do with truth-telling. <laughs> so sometimes I lie. Y'all, y'all lie a lot because you ain't the preacher. Romans 15, 13, we're going to talk about hope. We spent, what, eight weeks in Ecclesiastes. We were in James for five weeks. We're moving toward Easter. This is a high and holy week, and uh, we are, we're going to talk about hope for the next couple of weeks. And here's our verse that I want you to hone in on. He says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We did this at the 930 service, but I want you to say it with me. Let's do a congregational reading. We don't do this often. And you know how it is when you're reading with a group, you, t- you need to read slower so people can track with you. So let's, let's say this out loud, everybody in the house. You ready? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Two questions for you. What kind of God do we have? He's the God of hope. And what measure does God desire to give us hope? He says, I want to fill you with hope. I want that hope to abound, which is interesting because we have phrases, very common cliches, like a sliver of hope, a kernel of hope, just a glimmer of hope. We're holding on to hope. We hope we have enough hope. In fact, we, we say things uh, that are on two sides of the spectrum. We tell someone to don't give up on hope. And then we tell them, don't get your hopes up too high. But in this, uh, we, we, in fact, we tell people, Hey, hope is running out. You better hurry. Hope is running out as if there's a clock to it, but we are so conditioned to scarcity. We're so conditioned to think of that famous pie. We can only have a bit of the pie. If you get a bit, I can't have a bit. We think of, of all the virtues like that, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. We're talking about hope as we look to Easter. But hope, according to God, he's the God of all hope. May the God of all hope give you joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound more and more. You may be filled with it and you may abound with it. I want to kick back a bit to old school and to a passage that I bet you were reading Zechariah this morning. Weren't you a lot of you reading Zechariah, that prophet? Uh, it says this in the ninth chapter of the 12th verse, return to your fortress 
you prisoners of hope, even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. This is known as a double blessing. And we've got to be careful with verses like this. There's several of them in the Bible. We've got to be careful not to venture close to that health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Uh, these are biblical principles, uh, not to be applied to all in every uh, situation as in easy believism but God is saying to the people here I want to give you this double blessing I want to give you a double blessing and he refers to them as a prisoner of hope now Romans 15 13 is pretty straightforward that's Paul to the church at Rome and it's something a passage that we gladly accept but what about this what what's this minor prophet saying and to whom was he saying it? he's saying it to the people of Israel that's that's the back half of the book the first part of the book, I should say. He sent it to the people of Israel, to a Jewish people who had been plundered and pillaged by their rival, by the Babylonians. And the Bab- they, they were living at the mercy of their captors. Uh, they, uh, the, the Babylonians had defiled their temple, had mocked their God. They were living at their mercy, and yet this prophet says, you are a prisoner of hope. Hear me now. They weren't prisoners of hope. Shouldn't have been. They were prisoners of war in a very literal way. So for you and I today, I gave you just a little bit of context. But hear me now. If you see God through your situation, you will be a prisoner. But if you see your situation through the lens of God, you can become a prisoner of hope. I want to kick back today even further. I want to kick back to a time that was tough, a time that was violent, a time when there were nations at each other. We're so advanced and so intelligent and made so much progress with education today that we no longer invade other nations, do we? We all live peaceably uh, in the middle or in in our own borders. But back then they didn't. And I want to introduce you to a man named Elijah. Elijah, we heard last week, if you were here, the fifth chapter of James, when we were talking about ask the Father, when we were talking about praying, it started out in that last part of James. It says, Elijah, a man like ours, or with a nature like ours. Elijah, in 1 Kings 18, was seriously overachieving. I mean, all of his ambitions, he was checking the boxes, he was setting goals, and he was meeting them, and there was just some divine revelation and some divine victory uh, that was his. He confronted the evil king Ahab. He prophesied about the drought, and then he prayed down rain. He uh, did battle with 450 wicked prophets of Baal, and God gave him the victory. He was overachieving. He did stuff single-handedly. He constructed the altar. He dug the wells. He brought the, hauled the firewood. He butchered uh, the bull. He offered the prayer, and God granted the victory. He was overachieving, seriously overachieving. Um, he, he confronted the king, and he outrun. There's this scene in, in 1 Kings 18 where he outruns a chariot. If you know a chariot, chariots have horses. It's not just the dude in the chariot. So I gave some love at the first service to my Ole Miss fans. I'm not one of you, but I love you. But just think of DK Metcalf, right? You remember that rundown where the guy picked and DK, and we're all like, what? He just ran that dude down. It's like he shouldn't, a human should not have been able to do that. And this is in 1 Kings 18. This is Elijah, superhuman strength. What's that guy on? He should not have been able to run this fast. So everything is clicking for him. He's high achieving. He's over achieving. But then we come to 1 Kings 19. And as this story played out, Elijah um, 
after all the victory, he's somewhere kind of like, it's, it's like a combination of Spider-Man and Black Panther and Captain America all rolled into one. So his super achieving comes to a place where he became a national hero. Pretty good stretch of, of time for him. And as he was sort of this, recognizes this national hero, the evil King Ahab has a conversation with his wife, the evil Jezebel. And this conversation didn't go well for him. And stuff started happening within Elijah. Stay with me. Stuff started happening within him. His mind took a turn. And he fled. He fled into the desert. He had gone to Jezreel where he had outrun. But now he had gone to Beersheba. That sounds like a place where I've seen some of y'all. Beersheba. He fled to Beersheba. But he, this, he crossed the border. This was a southern border town. He, the text tells us that he left his servant and he crossed the border. Two, there's two symbolisms here. The symbolism of, or the actuality of leaving his servant symbolizes that he had said goodbye to his job, to his ministry, to his calling. He said goodbye. When he crossed the border, he was saying goodbye to his people. It symbolized uh, leaving all that he had known. He, he imploded out of fear. Paranoia was taken over. This king confronting, history altering, world changing prophet of fire who brought down the rain, who called God to bring down the rain after this severe drought, he runs and he hides. And here's what the scripture tells us it says this in 1 Kings 19 4. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, it's like a tree, he sat down under it and prayed that. He might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Can you have such a cavernous low after such a stratospheric high? Can you, can you enter into a deep and dark valley after you've been to the mountain? We see it. And by the way, I said this in the first service. For, we, we still are stuck on this, so it's my job to, to in part come alongside you and teach you the Bible uh, to point you to Christ. But listen, so we come to the Bible so often and we think we're going to see these paragons of moral virtue. Can I tell you how disappointed you're going to be if you read the Bible? Uh, we, you know, a, a lot is being said, and I think, listen to me, rightfully so. A lot is being said. I want to be a part of it. We want to be a part of this in our marriage, in our ministry here as we lead our staff and others. Uh, look, a lot is being said about emotional health and mental health, rightfully so. But back then, there was no therapy. Back then, Elijah, if he had been able to walk in, he just went to Dr. God. But if he, were to be, if he was to walk in uh, and got, gotten a psychiatric evaluation, it would have been quite damning for him. Take a look how this could break down. And by the way, he ain't the only one in the book. Time and time again, we see this. But I, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I can give you a good theological take. This is true. Here's what we see in this story. Elijah was afraid, it tells us. He experienced anxiety. I have had enough. He was battling depression. It tells us that he ran for his life. He was a fast runner, and he was running. He was paranoid. He was very paranoid. And he says to God in a prayer, take my life. You know, there's that prayer you sang in youth group, take my life, Lord, and let it be. That's not this prayer. Don't, don't, no confusion here. This isn't one of those campfire kumbaya. This is like, take my life. This is, this is on the verge 
of suicide. This is wondering if it's all worth living. And there are multitudes of these in the Bible. Again, if you're coming for a paragon of moral virtue, you're going to be, your, your thinking is going to need to be altered. What we see is a great God working through very strange and busted up people, which is a green light for you and I, I would say, to read the book, to learn from these stories, to find out where we enter in. And by the way, Jesus is always the hero of the story. It's so easy for us to read Bible stories and look for the virtuous people and insert ourselves into the hero. Oh, we're the David who slays the Goliath. No, you're not. No, you're not. It all points to Jesus. He's the hero. He's the victorious one. You and I are all busted up and broken. Man, I stand before you on a lot of Sundays, but equally I'm busted and broken up. The story is never about us. The story is never. Now, the Bible talks about leaders being godly and honest and caring for their families. Paul would say in Titus and Timothy, man, if it ain't working at home, don't export it out to the church. And so leadership matters. I'm not saying it doesn't, but we're all messed up. We're all messed up. When someone sees me out in public and says, let's quote the memory verse, and if I hadn't done it, I want my first step is to pretend that I have done it. But we're all in this story somewhere, and there's no laughing about this. Any laughing about this? None. Now, there's joy. There's joy in the midst of this, but there's no laughing in this. So today, as we point toward Good Friday, as we point toward Easter a week from today, We're going to talk about hope, but I want to give you three hope crushers that we see in this ancient man, this prophet Elijah, a man, James 5, with a nature like ours. The the first thing that can crush your hope, it sure did his, it's fatigue. Wow. Confronted a king, stood up to 450 false prophets, single-handedly constructed the altar, dug the wells, hauled the wood, built the fire, prayed the prayer, outran, outran the horse and chariot, went from the valley of Kishnon up to, the Mount, to Mount Carmel, who confronted and did all these things, and it's just time for us to go, brah, do you need a break? Which is a good question to ask as followers of Jesus. Hey, sister, do you need a break? Hey, brah, let's sit down for a second. And fatigue is this very, very real thing. And I love how this story plays out. Like it doesn't seem like a holy message uh, for Easter, but as we talk about hope and a hope crusher, the hope crusher of fatigue, consider how the story plays out. Elijah, this prophet, this king confronting, world altering, history changing man sits down and he is spent. He fled from Jezebel. He fled from responsibilities. He fled from his people. He fled from his calling. And he sits down under this broom tree. And in there, the scripture tells us, as this story plays out, that an angel met him. He was touched by an angel. Remember that show? It was inspired by 1 Kings 19. And what does the angel do? Elijah, take a nap. Take a nap. And as, he, as he's there, there, there's placed before him some angels cake. Ever had angels food cake? It comes from 1 Kings 19. That's where it gets his name. And here, check this out. This is how the story plays out. Elijah is going, God, God, I want to die. And God says, Elijah, take a nap and have a snack, which is great for us. Listen, hear me. You inhabit you. You are at the mercy 
of your body. Some of you are so hyper-spiritual, like I can't even hang out with you. Like just hyper-spiritual. But look, you have a body. You're not a body. You are a soul. But you have a body. And in this existence, this flesh, this earthly dwelling that you are given. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4, the outward man is wasting away. Amen. You can look at me and say amen. The outward man, is, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. But you have a body. He doesn't say deny the outward man. He goes, man, this, this is getting harder. I'm moving slower. This is a little more, the outward, but take care of your body. And I know you guys are at another level. Y'all, are at a, y'all achieve more than this prophet Elijah. You know, I know that you, you, you know, you live at a whole different level. And you strive on adrenaline. And you drink those energy drinks. And you get by subsisting on a steady diet of junk food. And you have a lot that you ingest in your, and you don't need to, a lot of sleep. And you stay up late watching whatever. But I just want to say to you today, that's hurting you. And it's hurting the soul issue. It's hurting the real you. And sometimes God wants to come to us and just say, like a parent does with a toddler, you're really fussy right now. Have a, take a nap and have a snack. Isn't that the goodness of God? We see God's love, his parental fatherly love in the midst of a violent and bloodthirsty society that you find in First and Second Kings in that time, in that history of the world. And by the way, we still have wars and we still fight and we still invade and we still haven't seemed to figure this thing out. He says, take a nap. Have some food. Take rest. Fatigue is a thing that will get you. So monitor it. Let's help each other. Let's help each other. America is built in large part of people saying, let's strive and let's achieve. But the gospel is better and bigger and broader than the American dream. And it's saying, hey, all that achieving so that you'll be remembered, so that you'll have your name on the building. It's nothing. It's nothing in comparison of missing the real thing, living for the wrong thing. So rest. And what can, what can happen when you rest? There, let's just say this. There's a ton of things that can't happen when you don't rest. And when you move at the speed of sound, you're destroying your soul. And the worst things can come your way. If I was sitting down with someone talking about this subject of fatigue, I would take, I would, if we were having coffee for 30 minutes, I would take you to this passage that I love in Isaiah 30 in verse 15. It says this. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. I was at someone's house not too long ago and I walked into their home and there was an inscription in the entryway with this verse but it was so curious to me that they, they stopped at the part about quietness and trust is your strength. It didn't say anything. Of that last sentence was not there. I'm like, ah, <laughs> the preacher knows the Bible. You're chopping it up, chop, taking that part out, right? That's not the pretty part. That's not the, we don't want to point to our humanity. We don't want to talk about a rebellion. We don't want to point out our stubbornness. That, that's not a good way to welcome people to our house. Like in repentance and rest is your salvation. And quietness and trust is your strength. That's where we stop. But the prophet doesn't stop to the people. He says, but you would have none of it. Because we think life is about our achieving. We think it's about what we can do. And we run ourselves hopeless into despair because of it. So pause and rest. Take a nap. Isn't God good to say it matters? And he meets them in this place. And it's beautiful. The second 
hope crusher besides fatigue is this reality of isolation. Beyond fatigue, it's isolation. We all are trying to come out of a government-mandated season, probably, possibly, partially, rightfully. Cover your face. Stay home. Don't go out. Don't be around people. Something bad could spread. And the message there has sullied us inside. It has stained us, and it has caused fear that some of us are not able to get over. I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm not going political on you. I'm just saying... As someone who works with people in counseling, as a human being myself, I can tell you some of us have not been able to come back out. We've been mandated to be isolated and we don't really know what the other life means. And here's this great prophet. And this great prophet had this experience. Look at what the passage says. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is a question both of, uh, this is a question that we have to hit on in many respects. It's a question of physical location. God to Elijah the prophet, why aren't you there? There is your people. There is your home. There is your mission. There is your calling. But you're here. It's a, it's a physical location, but more than that, it's a spiritual condition. He was in a place where he thought it was only him. And when you get low, when anxiety and depression anchors itself deep within you, you can feel that way and you can begin to think that way. We're taught to avoid toxic people. If you don't believe me, go on Instagram. I think one out of every 14 posts is about avoiding toxic people. Apparently, we don't do good at avoiding toxic people. But quite possibly, the most toxic person in your life is you. And it's what you're telling yourself and the lies that you're believing. And in his voice, Elijah thought, in his head, Elijah thought, I'm the only one. Look at what, how did I get here is this question. By the way, we'll all log time in the wilderness. We'll all go to the desert. And I would say, don't panic. Don't panic because in the Bible, it's chock full of stories. In fact, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of a man who logged time in the desert. And a desert is a time of humbling, a time of refining, a time of clarifying, a time of disciplining, a time of finding out what matters and finding out your limits. But in this negative desert experience, wilderness experience, under the broom tree that Elijah had, he got pouty, he got pitiful, he got depressed. And in his fear, he exaggerated his problem. Can I talk to you today? One of the dangers, one of the things leading to our hopelessness is how we exaggerate our problem. Let me, just simple question. I didn't do this at the first, just simple question. Have you, can you think of an experience recently where you were really low? Like, low. And then you just talked to somebody? And it wasn't necessarily a spiritual conversation. You just like talked to somebody. And the problem wasn't solved, but it felt a lot better. Anybody? Like you just, you opened the door to your room. You got off the PlayStation. You just walked out and had a conversation with like a human being. And they didn't solve any of your problems. They didn't even say Jesus. But like, it helped you just a little bit. And that's what could happen when we get trapped 
in here. And we'll talk about this in a minute, but there's a lot of different kinds of isolation. And the one I battle with, if I can be mildly vulnerable for a moment, is not the isolation of being alone. Like when I'm alone, I choose, we don't have any little people running around. I've got a really precious golden retriever who wants to be with me always. But I don't have any kids that want to be with me always. Uh, Susan has a nice healthy level of independence herself. Certainly enjoys being with me, but you know what I'm saying. But like I, when I go alone, like I'm choosing to, I'm writing a sermon, I'm preparing a talk, I'm getting ready for a meeting, I'm, something is there and I, I want it and I, and, I, and I need that. But the isolation that I battle is crowded, crowded isolation with people around, but there's something happening in here that's, that's distorted from reality. And we live isolated, it's so easy. Listen, look at this, uh, there's this, uh, as this story plays out, He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. Here we go. Here's the phrase, all right? Here's the cry of the isolated one. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Fear, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts. I am the only one left. It's a very famous story. It's not the one we're preaching today, but in verses 11, 12, 13, 11 and 12, this is the story where we can learn about how to hear God and how to hear God when we're hurting and needy. Because really when you're hurting and you're needy is, is the, probably the best time to hear from God. He says, the prayer that I hear, Psalm 34, is the broken and contrite. If you're proud, if you're arrogant and self-sufficient and things are going your way, those prayers might bounce off the ceiling. But if you come in broken, if you come in needy, if you come in in some hurt and express genuinely, you can hear from God. But the wind comes. God's not in the wind. You know this story, right? The, the earthquake comes. God's not in the earthquake. The fire comes. God's not in the fire. The gentle whisper, God's in the whisper. So that's not the sermon today. Look at what's verse 14. Let's go back. You notice any, any similarities between these verses? Word for word. Here's the principle. Elijah, man, you're you're giving me the same speech. Same speech. Anybody feel some retread in their life? Anybody feel some retread where you're not doing well and you're imploring the Lord, but you're praying the same prayer? And we talked last week about being persistent, so I'm not trying to contradict that. But it's just this same prayer of no faith, no expectancy. And it's, it's subpar. It's, it's on a human level, and it needs to be infused with divinity, with God. The same prayer he prays. And then it says, yet I reserve 7,000. This is God back to Elijah. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. Elijah, I thought you said you were the only one. God's got a whole lot of people waiting on you. I, anybody feeling that? I, I'm the only one. No, look at me. Look at me. God's got a lot of people waiting on you. Will you believe him for that? If you're in despair, if you're hopeless, God's got a lot. You're not the only one. Look at me. You are not the only one. And God has people for you. He's got people. He's got a whole lot of people. If you're in leadership, this can be particularly poignant for you. If you battle with some crowded, isolated feelings. There's a lot of people. And you know what's cool in this story? Because it's where we really are. Because if you just know a lot of people, but you're not known, if you have a vast social network, but not a few deep attachments, hope will fade. 
despair will set in. And you won't know where to go and where to turn. And God has gifted for him. And he says, I've got this dude named Elisha. Is it getting confusing now? We've talked about Ahab and Elijah and Jezreel and Beersheba and Negev and all these places, all these people. But here's this other dude named Elijah who would become a friend and a spiritual son. In fact, Elisha, that you, you would learn about later in the story, he, he calls Elijah a spiritual father. In other words, this dude that was so high and that got so low, God sustained him. God called him back in. And he was able. He was able to invest in leadership colleagues. He was able to encourage people. He was able to pronounce judgment and to live out his calling. And God put people around him. You are not alone. Hope is not a solo activity. Hope is a team sport. If I was with you having coffee and we were talking about the dangers of isolation that's gripped so many of us, I would take you to 1 Peter 4 because I love it. Peter talked about hope several times in 1 Peter. And toward the last part of this book, he says in the fourth chapter, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Can I get an amen? Offer hospitality. We are the hospitality state, aren't we, Mississippi? But we got a lot of work to do. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I've heard people say to me, well, preacher, I I did the small group thing. I showed up. I've been this. I'm seeking the friends. But if you grumble, people don't want to be around you. If you're a complainer, people are going to help you find another group. If you're a complainer, people are going to skip the dinner table with you and eat fast food drive through If you're a grumbler or a complainer, if you're never bringing hope, if you're just sitting around waiting for hope to come to you, you become a grumbler and you don't draw people to you and you're not going to be able to relate well to other people. Is that heavy? Is that harsh? Just trying to preach the truth. Each of you should use whatever gift. In other words, don't just sit around in Christian community singing kumbaya. You've been given a gift. Use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Hey, church. He's saying, let's be diverse. Hey, church, don't just stand in line and try to be like everybody else. And don't be jealous of other people's gifts. What is your gift? He gets a little bit specific. If anyone speaks, they should do as the one who speaks the very words of God. The King James says, the oracles of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. He's the one who gifts. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is what a Jesus-following community of hopeful people looks like. We must fight isolation. We must love each other deeply from the heart. No one wants to be shallow. No one wants to be fake. And that's the call to this passage. So get involved in each other's lives. Hope is not a solo activity. It is a team sport. Well, hope crusher is fatigue. A hope crusher, the second one we've looked at is isolation. And lastly, we'll look at this hope crusher of worry. God tells Elijah to go back. In my sanctified imagination, I feel like it went down like this, which is probably this part of the story that's not entirely true, so listen loosely. But I imagine God uh, said to Elijah, Hey, man, did you enjoy that nap? How about that cake? What about that fireworks show when you were up on the mountain? Pretty cool, huh? Did you enjoy all that? Well, come down off the mountain, get into the valley, and go back. There are judgments to pronounce. You know, prophets, that's what they do. you like, you have a job, you do what you do. Go do what you do. That's your job. His job is to pronounce judgment and to call people to worship a holy God. 
And that's what he did. But go back and do that. And here's what's so interesting to me is the Bible, this story does not tell us how Elijah felt. Now, we got an earful about how Elijah felt previously. Man, he was pitiful. He was down. I mean, we've looked at it. He was fatigued. He was isolated. He was worried. He got so low. He dealt with paranoia. He thought he was the only one. He no longer wanted to live. He was distraught. We learned a lot about his feelings. But at this point, the text tells us nothing about his feelings. Because maybe there's a time just to do what God says. Maybe there's a time not to wait around on the mountain until you feel hopeful. Maybe there's a time that you do what God says, and I bet a bunch of y'all have a clear next step of what God wants you to do. It could be pray a bold prayer, give a generous gift, take the initiative to, to do a courageous act, confess a hidden sin or addiction, come along and encourage a coworker. There's a ton of next steps for you. I just touched on a few that, that it could be. But don't wait around on the mountain so that you will somehow magically feel hopeful. In the, middle, in the midst of what you feel. And it's never golden. It's never great. In fact, um, I'm sure the story played out this way. Elijah had to choose. He had to choose hope while he battled fear. And here's the thing. Our hope is not in hope. If anyone thinks, oh, this, you know, it's Easter week and the preacher priest, it was a pretty decent message, not a great one, but it's kind of good. I'm going to leave and, and hope and I'm just going to be hopeful. I'm going to embrace it no matter how I feel and I'm going to be hopeful. It just, you know, it doesn't work like that. I'm not trying to promote fatalism or defeatism or whatever. I mean, I want you to go and I want the chains to be lifted and broken from you and you to walk in all the freedom that God gives. But I just want to tell you from the holy book is that it ain't just all hopeful. In the midst of the, you choosing hope, which is what I have to do sometimes, in the midst of choosing hope, you'll have to battle fear. You'll have to work through that tension. If you and I were having coffee and we were talking about worry, I would take you to Luke 21, 14, where Jesus says, but make up your mind. If anybody lives haphazardly, if anybody goes to sleep with your phone and wakes up with your phone and just kind of takes your schedule like whatever and just haphazard and casual, you know, Jesus would say, make up your mind, live principally. Make up your mind beforehand. Now, here's what he said. This is the very next verse. I don't have it on the screen. Very next verse. He says, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you the wisdom and the words, and you will not be refuted or denied. You, I'm going to give you the wisdom. You're going to know what to say. I'm going to be there with you, and your, your, words will not, your wisdom will not be refuted. That's pretty good. And then Jesus says, they will hate you because they hate me, and some of you will die. But make up your mind beforehand not to worry. So as Lauren and the team makes their way up, I want to put a few things on the screen for you and I to think about. As long as you have something to hope for, you will have something to worry about. It's, it, it, it's why we, some of us check out of hope. Well, I'm going to stop hoping. I'm going to stop hoping. Some of you yesterday stopped hoping that your baseball team would win another national championship. I'm going to stop hoping. And then when you stop hoping, it doesn't hurt anymore, does it? Nah, I don't care. I don't care. But that's no way to live. That's no way to live. Because we're hope creatures. Hope crusher number one, fatigue. 
What makes you weary? Like, think about it today. What makes you weary? And how do you usually respond? What is your tendency when you're weary? If you're married and you don't know, ask your spouse. What's the difference in resting in Christ and resting from Christ? You ever come to church and you get reminded that you checked out with Jesus? That you walk into a place and you want to commune with a God who loves you, but you haven't spent any time seeking to commune with Him during the week? Ever feel that conviction? Hope crusher number two. Isolation. Isolation can happen when we're alone, but also when we're in a crowd. That's my confession. We long to be known, but being known requires vulnerability, courage, and wisdom. And wisdom means who to be vulnerable with. Have you ever learned the hard lesson that you can't be vulnerable with everybody and you shouldn't? You need to figure out who you can be vulnerable with. And that requires some, some wisdom. Hope crusher three, worry. I've already said this. Elijah had to choose hope and manage fear. And so will we. Would you stand? And as we close, I want to ask you, what's your hope quotient? Where are you? Are you like a one where you're really depleted and close to despair? Or is there a whole lot of Romans 15, 13? Like you hear that verse, you said it out loud with the preacher and the rest of the congregation, even the folks up in the balcony. And you're like, you know, may the God of hope may fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Spirit, you may abound in the hope. Maybe that's your, your, your attend today. We will try not to hate you, but maybe that's where you are. Let God minister to us today in the midst of what experts are calling diseases of despair which collectively is the number one killer of people in America these collective diseases of despair we need hope we need it today would you pray with me Father would you minister to us and thank you for how an ancient story a story that points to Jesus a story that probes our own lives the story of a man and we want to come to him and go what a great man what a great man but we see that he got to a place where he didn't even want to live anymore we see his fatigue and we think of our own we we learn of his isolation we ponder ours we know that he was riddled with worry and we have worry ourselves so minister to us god thank you for uh, thank you for this week and what it represents We look forward to Friday night and Sunday. Time to really celebrate. Lord, would you help us prepare ourselves for a slowing this week? For somebody that's really worried, I pray would you show them that Luke 21, 14 can be real, that they can make up their mind ahead of time not to worry, that you can minister to them. We don't have to stay under a tree. We all go to the desert. We all go to the wilderness. We all sit under a broom tree, but we don't have to stay there. So God, would you minister to your people with valleys and mountaintops? Would you move us to generosity? 
Lord, thank you that we can have ushers coming forward and we can have the plate passed and we can sing to a God who is Jehovah Jireh who provides for us. In our fatigue, you provide for us strength. You give us reserves when we're depleted. In our isolation, you give us the gift of yourself and you give us the people, but you give us the few. And in our worry, you minister this great grace to us. Jesus, we pray. Amen.